So we'll do all of Leviticus 19. Okay. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, Be holy, because I, the Lord your God, am holy. Each of you must respect your mother and father, and you must observe my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. Do not turn to idols or make metal gods for yourselves. I am the Lord your God. When you sacrifice a fellowship offering to the Lord, sacrifice it in such a way that it will be acceptable on your behalf. It shall be eaten on the day you sacrifice it or on the next day. Anything left over until the third day must be burned up. If any of it is eaten on the third day, it is impure and will not be accepted. Whoever eats it will be held responsible because they have desecrated what is holy to the Lord. They must be cut off from their people. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather to the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. Do not steal, do not lie, do not deceive one another, do not swear falsely by my name and so profane the name of the Lord, your God. I am the Lord. Do not defraud or rob your neighbour. Do not hold back the wages of a hired worker overnight. Do not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of the blind, but fear your God. I am the Lord. Do not pervert justice, do not show partiality to the poor or favouritism to the great, but judge your neighbour fairly. Do not go about spreading slander among your people. Do not do anything that endangers your neighbour's life. I am the Lord. Do not hate a fellow Israelite in your heart. Rebuke your neighbour frankly so you will not share in their guilt. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbour as yourself. I am the Lord. Keep my decrees. Do not make different kinds of animals. Do not plant your field within two kinds of seed. Do not wear clothing woven of two kinds of material. If a man sleeps with a female slave who is promised to another man, but who has not been ransomed or given her freedom, there must be due punishment. Yet they are not to be put to death because she had not been freed. The man, however, must bring a ram to the entrance to the tent of meeting for a guilt offering to the Lord. With the ram of the guilt offering, the priest is to make atonement for him before the Lord for the sin he has committed, and his sin will be forgiven." When you enter the land and plant any kind of fruit tree, regard its fruit as forbidden. For three years you are to consider it forbidden. It must not be eaten. In the fourth year, all its fruit will be holy, an offering of praise to the Lord. But in the fifth year, you may eat its fruit. In this way, your harvest will be increased. I am the Lord your God. Do not eat any meat with the blood still in it. Do not practice divination or seek omens. Do not cut the hair at the sides of your head or clip off the edges of your beard. 
Do not cut your bodies for dead or put tattoo marks on yourselves. I am the Lord. Do not degrade your daughter by making her a prostitute, or the land will turn to prostitution and be filled with wickedness. Observe my Sabbaths and have reverence for my sanctuary. I am the Lord. Do not turn to mediums or seek out spiritists, for you will be defiled by them. I am the Lord your God. Stand up in the presence of the age. Show respect for the elderly and revere your God. I am the Lord. When a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself, for you are foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Do not use dishonest standards when measuring length, weight, or quantity. Use honest scales and honest weights, an honest ephah and an honest hin. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. Keep all my decrees and all my laws and follow them. I am the Lord. Thanks, Robin. Well, which of these rules must we follow and which ones can we ignore? Isn't that the question? It's often how we approach the law as well, isn't it, that question? We want to get away with the bare minimum, don't we? We want to push the boundaries and we certainly don't want to conform to legalism. And after all, we are all rebels at heart. We'd rather break the rules if if we can And I think when it comes to the Old Testament law or the Levitical law, uh, we do the same thing. You know, I'll follow the big ones, I'll I'll try not to steal or murder, Uh, I won't sleep with my auntie, Uh, see the previous chapter for reference on that one, or have sex with an animal for that matter. Those things are gross, I'm not going to go there, but do I have to stand in the presence of my elders? Do I have to avoid tattoos? Uh, or do I have to even observe the Sabbath? Is that, is that relevant? You know, which, which laws really apply to me? And perhaps we find it easier to, to keep the laws that our society upholds, you know, things like murder and theft, incest. You know, the general population frowns on this stuff, looks down on it, and so we all sort of go, yeah, you, you just don't do that stuff. But the other things, you know, the more religious things, well, they're harder to obey, aren't they? or to interpret, for that matter. Traditionally, Christian scholars have categorised the Old Testament laws into three categories. There's the moral laws, uh, you know, right and wrong, good and bad, and, uh, and, and we consider those still to be applicable today. It's ethics. Then there's the ceremonial laws, sacrifices and the like, and we believe Jesus has fulfilled those, so they're not applicable to us. Then there's the civil laws, Uh, which were for the nation of Israel in its specific time and place. And we have our own civil laws uh, given to us by our government, and so, you know, these other ones are not applicable to us. 
And while this continues to be a helpful guide for us, it has its flaws. For example, Old Testament Jews would have seen uh, that there's great moral significance to keeping the ceremonial law. It was a matter of right and wrong for them. And still today, some laws tend to blur the lines between these distinctions. We don't know exactly which category it falls into. The Sabbath is a good example. And so this morning, I want us to get away from putting laws into different categorical buckets and saying, you know, which ones do I have to follow? And instead to focus on the principle of holiness and especially the character of God. And yes, that includes morality and purity, but it also includes separation, as we talked about two weeks ago. It's about belonging to God in every way and not to anyone else or anything else. And so this large section of Leviticus that we're looking at, which is chapters 17 to 24 or 25, uh, is often called the holiness code, the holiness code, for, for these kind of reasons. And while today we don't get to go into great depth into each of those laws or even each of the chapters, and I'd love to do that with some of them, but hopefully this principle is what shines through as we look at it in one big chunk. That God's holiness is at the heart of the law. As he says there at the beginning of chapter 19, be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. And this is repeated numerous times throughout the book of Leviticus in different forms and different ways. You know, God says that he makes his people holy because he's holy. Uh, He says, be holy because I am God for that simple reason. And see, the law is God's way of reflecting God's holiness in the world, in His people. And so in many ways, when we talk about the law and what it does, we can often replace those words with the word holiness. You know, we talk about the law revealing God's character, pointing to who He is. Well, that's His holiness, isn't it? It points to a holy God. We talk about the law revealing and restraining our sin. Well, again, God's holiness does that as well. We talk about the law teaching us how we can please God, how we can worship Him and please Him as His people. And again, God's holiness working in us does the same thing. David says in Psalm 119 that God's law is a light. It's a shining lamp to show us how we are to go. And as I said at the beginning of the service, His holiness is like the sun itself, the greatest light. You know, it's light, it's heat blazing forth in intense brilliance. And like the sun, God is unique. God is out of this world. God is dazzlingly glorious. So what we're going to do is consider further how God's holiness and how the law works on His people. And firstly, we see that it demands that His people are also to be holy and pure. That's supposed to happen among us, like mirrors that reflect light, 
like the sun or another light, they are to reflect the holiness of God. We are to reflect the holiness of God. And so that means being set apart. Now, if you don't know what holiness means, that is the definition. It means being set apart, different, separate. Set apart from the people around them would Israel be, the other nations, the other cultures, the other religions. And it gives some helpful context to explaining some of the laws that we have to deal with here. You know, for example, in chapter 17, uh, there's a big chunk there about don't eat the blood of animals. And, and those of us who had a nice rare steak the other night are sort of thinking, oh, you know, what have I done? Don't eat the blood of animals. But the reality is in surrounding nations, what they would do is they would make sacrifices to their idols and they would deliberately consume the blood in order to try and take into themselves the life of that animal. Uh, Like God says that the, the life of an animal is in the blood and other nations believe that too. But the difference with Israel is that that life belonged to God that they were to offer it up to Him for atonement. Another example, tattoos. They were forbidden because the surrounding nations used them to mark themselves with their idols, to paint their idols onto their skin and and to, uh, at times, mark slaves as belonging to certain people And, and at other times to mark themselves for the purposes of war. And God doesn't want any of that. An easy one, divination, well, that was used to consult false gods or dead people. But God says that He walks with His people, He has fellowship with His people. He connects with His people through priests and prophets and He does not use the cultish practices of spiritists and mediums. And so even if some practices were not morally sinful in and of themselves, God demanded obedience in these things because of their connection to sinfulness and idolatry. And so in the New Testament, we get this uh, great example. Paul is constantly wrestling and tackling this issue of eating food that's sacrificed to idols, food that's been offered to idols and he's, you know, Christians are wrestling with, should I eat that? It's been used in a ritual that I don't agree with. And, And Paul kind of says, it's fine. It's not sinful Those idols don't exist. You can eat that meat. It's no problem. But consider the weaker brother. For the sake of others, or for the sake of the context that you are in, you may choose not to eat. You might avoid it. And that comes to the law of love for others. That comes to how does the holiness of God play out in that particular situation? We'll come back to that. And I think this helps us to understand why God required for His people not just moral purity, but also ritual purity. Uh, Not to mention why moral laws and ceremonial laws are often mixed up together, especially when we come to chapters like 18 and 19 of Leviticus. And we go, at one minute there's this, you know, very ethical, sexual immorality kind of law, and then there's this thing about blood and ceremony and we go, you know, why does it keep going back and forth? Tim highlighted to us two weeks ago how some things were considered uh, in the the realm of unclean and impure. Um, Some things 
were considered pure and clean, but yet still common. And then some things are holy and special. Now, God, of course, is holy. He is holy. He is special. And He can only come into contact with what is holy. And so, for that to happen, everything that was impure had to be purified, and everything that was pure but common had to be made holy. It had to be sanctified. And so, we come to some of these commands and we think, well, some are, some are easy, like the command to steal, you know, that's right and wrong, it's an ethical issue, we, we get that. But the command, uh, say for example, I think it's uh, chapter 24, don't offer up an animal that has bruised or cut testicles. And we sort of go, well, what are we supposed to do with that? How, how does that apply? You know, what's the deal? And we have to recognise the principle. Common people, common Israelites, had to offer common but pure animals. Not impure, not uh, blemished, not faulty, not broken. They had to offer pure animals. But even then, it had to be made holy. It wasn't really acceptable to God unless it was made holy. And so, that's why they used the priests. The priests had to make this offering because the priests and the priesthood was considered holy. And then, uh, as well as that, there was these special rules with what to do with the blood, which represented the life. It had to be especially sprinkled. It couldn't just be poured out on the ground. It It had to be sanctified. And here's the thing, and where I'm going with all of that, is that Jesus has come and He has changed what's pure and He has changed what's holy. Now, we'll come back to this in a little bit, but it's really important for us to note that with Christ's fulfillment, some things that were considered unclean, things like eating blood or menstruation or tattoos or mixing your materials or your seeds or getting an undercut or bodily discharges of all kinds, they are no longer considered unclean. They're fine. It's not an issue anymore. And then some things, like marriage and family and the days of the week and charity and even our very selves, are now considered holy, sanctified. So, we'll come back to that, but before we get there, we do need to also consider, and really it gives us important context, how God's holiness and the law shines the light on our sin. It shines the light on our sin. Before Jesus comes into the picture, our sin is highlighted. Just as the sun kind of beams into the world, it removes darkness and it shows both good and evil on the world. So, God's holiness reveals our sin and the law seeks to restrain it. John says, uh, or Jesus in the book of John, this is the verdict, light has come into the world but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear 
that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. And see, one thing that the Levitical law makes so clear is that sin defiles. It does the opposite of what God's doing in making impure things pure and pure things holy. It it, it takes them the other way. It defiles, it infects, it's it's like a spore of mould that spreads or dodgy bacteria that spreads or, or, you know, a cancerous cell that multiplies in the body. It defiles the person, making them unclean and impure. It affects their thoughts and their actions and their behaviour and their attitude. And don't we know it? it? It defiles the community because it spreads from one person to the next and it causes division and selfishness and arguments and violence. It defiles the culture, the very way that we do things, the society that we're a part of, it normalizes sin and it erodes what is good and what is right. And it even defiles creation itself through abuse and exploitation. That's why God says at the end of chapter 18, He says that the land itself would vomit them out, would vomit the people out just as it vomited out the previous inhabitants. And it's kind of, you know, in-your-face, violent, gross language, isn't it? But that's the idea with sin. You know, like the stomach repels that dodgy bacteria it consumes and it hurls everything out in a gesture of disgust. So the land would vomit out the people who defiled themselves with sin and impurity and immorality. And this, of course, is not unrelated to God's judgment of sin. Chapter 20, for example, we get a whole chapter full of punishments for specific and certain sins, plenty of which are sexual immorality. And though I don't have time to go into uh, those super harsh kind of sins listed here in Leviticus, it's because sexual immorality was rampant in the world around them. But sometimes these punishments would be death, Sometimes it would be expulsion or exile. Sometimes it would be childlessness or something else. And then in chapter 24, at the end of the chapter, we're given this example of a blasphemer, somebody who curses the name of God, being put to death, being stoned to death. And all of it says one important thing, God is serious about sin. It disgusts Him. He hates it. It is a cancer on His creation. It is a virus among His people. It is a mould on the fabric of His universe. And the law, which Paul calls holy and righteous, he says, well, that highlights our sin. Puts a beaming spotlight on it shows us what it looks like and how it infiltrates our lives. And because of it, we should be unacceptable to God. Unacceptable. We should be cast off, spat out, spewed out 
banished, eradicated, thrown out with the bathwater because sin has completely defiled us. But then comes Jesus. And he comes as the holiness and the righteousness of God. And he comes down to us. Like the sun descending on the earth, blazing God's holiness in intense brightness. This is Jesus Christ. He makes impure things pure and common things holy. He fulfills the law himself by his obedience and then also by taking our penalty upon himself on the cross so that God's holiness and God's righteousness can be literally rained down on us and on our hearts. See, the irony of God's command, be holy, is that we just can't do it. It's like saying, be perfect. You go this week and be perfect. Can't do it. We can't stop coveting. We can't stop lusting. We can't stop murdering. You remember Jesus says that anger contributes. We can't stop our idolatry. And we certainly cannot live up to all the ceremonial and, you know, laws of sacrifice and priesthood and purification. So we need Jesus. We need a saviour. We need a fulfiller. Without him, we are no better than vomit to be expelled from God's presence. We can never reach the heights of God's holiness to be holy like he is. We can never get there. We cannot get even close to that. Our only hope is that His holiness comes down to us and that it does in Christ. And so Jesus comes and He fulfills the ceremonial law, uh, which we find so much of in Leviticus. All that, that purity and cleansing stuff, Jesus offers it completely. Atonement for everybody. It's done. No more sacrifices are needed. The spilling of blood, it's over. Even things like circumcision, gone. No more blood needs to be spilled. But also, you know what? When blood is spilled, whether from accidental wounds or other things, it's no longer unclean. It's not an issue. It's fine. It's just blood. And you know what? Now you can mix your materials. If you like a bit of polyester, maybe a bit of elastine within your polyester, you know, you can do that. It's okay. You can shave your head. You can get that undercut you've always wanted. Because now our purity, it comes from Jesus. And our holiness too. Festivals and spiritual occasions, we we find uh, the list of seven of those in chapter 23. They don't have to be observed anymore with this religious zeal and rule-keeping because we simply remember Jesus every day and every week and every month and every year, every moment. Even the Sabbath is radically changed because Jesus comes and He makes all days holy. All of life is holy. 
The Sabbath is fulfilled. It's done. There's no special day in that sense. Jesus has made it all special. Priests are no longer required because sacrifices are done with and we have direct access to God through Jesus. And so what happens is he makes us a kingdom of priests. It's not that just that special holy office is done away with, it's that he brings all of us up to that level. And we are a kingdom of priests, a holy nation, so that every single Christian can make living sacrifices that are pleasing to God. That's what the New Testament celebrates. And I think this is where things get really amazing because God's holiness, it continues to flow down and it does that through us to others. Through Jesus in His people, through the Holy Spirit in His church. The church is, according to Peter, God's holy nation. His royal priesthood, His special possession. Now, all those adjectives sort of taking us up out of the realm of the common and into the realm of God Himself. Acceptable in His presence. And in that realm, we have this holy purpose, this holy calling, which is to declare His praises and to blaze His light to the world around us. The sun itself, it shines among us, Jesus Christ. And we reflect it to every corner of darkness. It used to be that God's people had to shrink back from the impurity and the unholiness and the immorality, the sin of the world. They had to withdraw into themselves. But now, thanks to Jesus, we advance forth God's holiness and purity. And one of the most important ways that we do this is found right there in the middle of chapter 19. Verse 18, love your neighbour as yourself. Love your neighbour as yourself. Jesus declares that this command, along with the command to love the Lord your God, is the greatest command. It is the very summary of the law to love God and to love others because love advances holiness. Love doesn't shrink back. Love does not withdraw into itself. It doesn't just avoid the sin of others in the fear of getting tainted. No, it it goes out and offers alternatives. It, it, It replaces selfishness with selflessness. It replaces pride and greed with humility. It replaces exploitation with sacrifice and service. That's what love does. It advances God's holiness. It advances the gospel. It advances the fulfillment of Jesus Christ. So, when we come to the Old Testament law, And we're wondering, well, which laws apply to me? Which ones 
do I have to obey? It's not about asking, you know, what can I get away with? What can I ignore? Am I allowed to have this or do that? That's not what it's about. Whether it's eating blood or having sex outside of marriage or stealing or getting a tattoo, it's not ultimately about you. It's about God and His holiness. And it's about others and your love for them. We need to be asking, even though I'm free in Christ, completely free, and the law is fulfilled, does keeping this command, or at least the principle of it, advance God's holiness? Does it please Him? Does it glorify Him? And does it show love for others by pointing to the light instead of the darkness? This is often what Paul is getting at, like in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he sort of says, it doesn't matter whether things are permissible or not. That's the wrong question. What matters is the glory of God and the good of others, that they might be saved. Again, advancing God's holiness, loving your neighbour. These principles, they free us up significantly when we're tempted to be good little rule keepers. But they also challenge us deeply because we are prone to legalism. We are prone to just give me a rule so I don't have to think about it. We're freed from our religious observance, but we are deeply challenged to do things for the glory of God and for the good of others. And often, you know what, that often calls us to a higher standard than all of these laws put together. And it's one that we seek through the grace and the strength of Jesus. For example, it talks about in the law, when you reap your land, leave the corners for the poor. Am I setting aside some of my income for those in need? Not just because it used to be a rule, but because it advances God's holiness and it shows His love to people. You know, it's so easy to say, look, I'm not committing incest, (laughs) I'm not defrauding my neighbour with dishonest scales, but am I serving them? Am I reflecting God's holiness to them? Or take the Sabbath. You know, am I making Sunday like a Sabbath rule just so that I can do my own thing on the other days? So I can keep those other days, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, they can all just be common for me. Or can I see every day as holy? To be used for God's glory and for the gospel and for the good of others. And Sunday, well, that just has a particular opportunity, doesn't it? Is it about me and my religious observance? Or is it about advancing God's holiness and loving others with the light of Jesus? These are the sorts of questions that we can be asking when it comes to God's law. It's about His holiness. 
about our holiness from God. It's about pleasing Him. The Father we love. And it always, always includes our love for others. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we want to ask that you would redeem us from our law-breaking. Lord, all these standards that we cannot keep, that we fail to observe, we pray that you would forgive us and grant us your righteousness. And we want to ask that you would redeem us from our legalism, where we keep certain laws and see ourselves as righteous for doing so, where we think that we're ticking all the boxes when we do this, that or the other. And yet so often we neglect the law of love, we fail to advance your holiness and so we don't give you glory and we don't love others. Lord, we confess that's so often the case and we pray that you'll Forgive us and you'll redeem that. And again, you'll work in us the freedom of the cross and of the gospel in such a way that frees us up to live for your glory and to live for the good of others. So we no longer ask, what can I get away with or what can I or can't I do, but how can I serve? How can I advance your name? How can I share the light with others and show your love to them? Lord, we pray that you will redeem our hearts and instill a heart like Christ's that we might follow and serve you in all those ways. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.